We're fortunate to have Coach Garrett Hickey on this podcast. Hickey is the associate head coach for Fairfield Prep in Fairfield, Connecticut. And as I learned, he's also got a uh, background in college and in uh, junior high basketball uh, coaching as well. He's also the founder of Share the Game, a hashtag and blog that is a great resource for basketball coaches at all levels. Coach Hickey, thanks for talking basketball with us today. How's everything in Connecticut? Coach, thanks for having me on. Everything is is good. Uh, we're, we're, you know, hopefully knock on wood over this COVID thing and, and we'll have a nice regular summer pool of basketball. So I'm, I'm ready to get started. Yeah, and uh, since you're there in Connecticut, can you kind of tell us how your season went? Because each state kind of had different things going on. Sure, yeah. So, so our season originally was going to start in uh, the beginning of November a little bit earlier, and then they uh, the powers that be decided to uh, postpone the season until after New Year's. And so we started, I think, around January 12th. We had a condensed season. We played – um, or we had 12 games on the schedule. Um, for us at prep, we got through 10 of those games. And then unfortunately we were nine and one, so we were having a really good year. And then unfortunately we got hit, um, with COVID and our season kind of ended for the second year in a row overnight. Um, so it, it was tough, but at the same time, I think it was a little bit easier than the previous season, just because we were very lucky that we were playing at all. Uh, and we were playing in masks, and, and I think every day that we were in the gym was was a blessing considering the fact, like you said, you look over the, all over the country, and there's plenty of states and plenty of teams and schools that didn't have seasons. So we were fortunate in that regard. Yeah, uh, pretty crazy because in Idaho, we were able to pretty much get our full season in. Our neighbor, Washington, they're just finishing up their season like, as, <laughs> like at, uh, today. Yeah. So it's been kind of interesting, and then we're playing a – uh, a summer tournament uh, this weekend, and we're playing against a bunch of teams that uh, Washington schools that are just coming off the regular season. So what about your summer season? I mean, what's that look like? Because I also know that that's really different uh, throughout the country on how coaches, how much time coaches can get with their teams and stuff. Yeah, so we can't technically work with our kids uh, in, in the quote-unquote offseason. So we'll, we'll have, uh, we have a summer league that our team enters that the coach, we can go watch, but we can't coach. Um, and then there's, we have, you know, some camps that our guys will go to, uh, as a team or they'll, you know, individually work out and I can be in the gym and, and have like one or two of them, if it's a paid camp or something other than our, our actual school. Uh, but other than that, they're, they're lifting on their own. They're doing their stuff at, uh, you know, on their own and they're, um, you know, doing the summer leagues and, and some of them play AU in the summer. Some of them don't, some of them are playing other sports. So it's kind of a, a wide range of things that they're doing. All right. So a uh, reason why I reached out to you is uh, your uh, share the game hashtag and uh, blog. Like I said, it's got some great resources and you make it very interactive uh, for coaches with like weekly polls and stuff like that. And we'll get to how coaches can access that a little bit later, but uh, you know, you're kind of like, Hey, you know, what, what do you want me to talk about? And uh, I saw a post that you had about uh, defense. And so I figured, Hey, let's, uh, let's focus on that. And so, you know, uh, you had a recent blog post that, uh, that I read through, and it talked about the two stages of defense that coaches should focus on. Can you explain these two stages and why you think they're so important? Sure. Yeah. So the, the two stages, it's nothing, you know, not reinventing the wheel, but it, it's just the this uh, kind of idea of making sure that we 
teach and that we're putting players in situations where they're working on their individual defense first, which is kind of like the step one. Um, I think a lot of times we kind of throw out, like we go into a three on three or four on four shell and we kind of just start right away with the, the help defense and where you're supposed to be one, two, three passes away from the ball. And, you know, we're, we're not actually putting guys in situations where they have to be able to keep the ball in front of them so that you don't have to rely on that all the time. Um, so it's something that we do at, at prep and our head coach does a really good job at it uh, as well. But we do a ton of one-on-one full court, one-on-one half court, uh, just playing. And, uh, and I always kind of joke and I'll do the same thing with, with our AAU guys. We have practice later tonight. We do one-on-one to begin every single practice. And I always say the best teacher in basketball is getting scored on. Uh, I don't have to say anything. If you're playing someone one-on-one and you can't stop five or six guys in a row, you know, th- then there's there's not really much that anyone has to say other than, all right, I got to get better at my individual defense. So number one, it, it's that. It's it's implementing small-sided games and just getting guys used to, um, you know, working on that one-on-one defense. And then at the same time, when you do the one-on-one defense, you're also working on your one-on-one offense. So it's kind of going hand-in-hand there. And then once you have that, you know, foundation with the one-on-one defense, then you can start building your, your team defense. And everyone's team dif- defense is different. Um, you know, pack line, force baseline, force middle, whatever it might be. Um, and you can kind of create that on your own. But for, in my opinion, I think everyone's one-on-one defense is pretty similar. You know, if you take away the force middle, force baseline, it's keep the ball in front of you. Don't let, don't, don't let a guy go right by you. Don't let a straight line drops happen. So if we can build on that and then we have five guys on the court whose first purpose is, okay, let's keep the ball in front of me. And then you can implement your team defense after that. I think that kind of gets, A, gets guys to buy in a little bit more and B, it gets everyone playing on the same page because individually they know what their job is. And then they know as a team what their job is after that, if something happens. All right. So uh, one-on-one and, you know, other coaches that I've talked to on this that that have great programs, uh, they do a lot of one-on-one play, especially focusing on defense. So when you're starting to talk to the kids about this, maybe they played a little bit, like what are the things that you're going over? What are the things that you're really teaching or keeping an eye on as a coach? So for, for one-on-one, um, like defensively, my biggest thing is just, like I said before, keeping the ball in front of you. And so it's just, it's not, you know, especially at the younger ages, some of these kids try to like defensive slide their way through everything. And like, that's not really how you can play one-on-one defense, especially as you get older with quicker guys. So it's okay to, to get a little bit, uh, you know, straight up and sprint to a spot to beat somebody there. So we'll work on that with, you know, older guys and younger guys is just understanding that it's okay to get a little bit taller and try to get quicker to beat someone to a spot. And then big for us, just because that prep, we in, in my AU program, we don't have any true like shot blockers. And I think everyone wants to, you know, block a shot. Um, and so it's big on like walling up, understanding what wall up means and then understanding, um, you know, what the A to B means like what in the official's eyes. So we, we actually do a really good job at, at prep. We have our officials come and talk to our guys about that. And we explain that, like, what is the A to B mean? What does it mean to like make sure we're walled up? and what the officials are looking for when it comes to that. Because we always say like, you can be a, you know, try to shot block a bunch of stuff. You're going to pick up two or three fouls automatically. 
And so it's like, let's not do that. Let's not try to do that. Let's make guys try to finish over us and make things tougher. So those would be like the two things that I look for that like are points of emphasis when we're doing the one-on-one stuff. Well, you know, and you make a great point there. And I think that's something, and we'll get into this question and it might be what uh, part of your answer, but I think here, you know, a lot of times as coaches, we uh, wall up, wall up, wall up, you know, but do our kids really understand what that means? And then also, you know, I think bringing the officials in and saying, okay, this is what we're looking for. I think that's, that's a huge, that's huge. Yeah. And, and it's funny because if you, at, you ask a kid what wall up means, and most of them, especially when they're younger, they believe that when you say wall up, you're not allowed to jump. And it's like, <laughs> I'm not telling you that you can't jump. Like you need to jump, but you need to know how to jump so that you're not fouling and you're still contesting the shot. Oh, great point. So uh, a question I wanted to ask you, um, not to like put down coaches out there, but you know, sometimes we see some things and we're like, "Ah, I don't know if that's the right way to approach it. So when it comes to defense, what are some things that you see coaches maybe get wrong in their approach to uh, team defense? Yeah. So I'd say there's like, there's two things and, and by no means do I know everything, but it's just kind of what I've observed over the years. And number one, it's instead of just keeping it simple, like trying to be too intricate when it comes to like what your defensive philosophy is. I think it's great to have two, three, or maybe four pillars of things that you really want to focus on. But I've been in presentations where guys have like 15 things. There's just too much stuff. And like for us as coaches, like we think, Oh man, that's really good. That's great. But as a kid who's 15 years old, they're not going to know or want to know what the 15 pillars of your defense is, you know, as much as we really want it. So I'd say that is is big. Uh, and then the, the second thing, and um, I think it's really important at the uh, the younger levels and, of, and especially for youth development is, and I do it all the time too, and, and I'm trying to get better at it, but it's you're in a gym and, and something happens and the kid – who was supposed to be in help side, isn't in help side, and there's a layup, and you, all we hear is the coach or somebody's yelling, that's your help, that's your help. And I don't know where I was where I heard it. I didn't come up with this, but it's this idea of why are we getting mad at the kid who is a little bit slow to react when we should be getting more upset about the fact that somebody got beat off the ball and didn't keep the ball in front of them. And so I think, like at a, especially at the youth level, when we're trying to teach the game, you know, you can't be mad at a kid that he didn't slide over and help, you know, eight times in a row when there's a kid who's playing man-to-man defense and can't keep the ball in front of him. And so it's kind of just understanding, all right, well, you either have to make an adjustment and figure out what you're going to do, or you, you, you know, you can't just don't get mad at anybody. Just understand that that's part of the game and, and you've got to get better, but we, let's not scream at the kid who was just a little bit slow to react and then not address the fact that the kid drives and, uh, you know, and scores. And if you ask wherever I heard this from, I think it was a podcast or something, but it, they polled like players and, and they were like one of the biggest pet peeves that players had was getting yelled at for not being in help when one of their teammates got beat. And they were like, I don't understand why I'm getting in trouble when somebody else made a more crucial mistake than, than I did. And so I think that's, that those are the two things I would say. Uh, that's a good point there. I, I like that. Um, so, you know, in this uh, blog post, and we'll talk again about uh, share share the game a little bit later, but uh, you talked about or you laid out some pillars that were pretty important when it comes to defense. And one of the things that you put out there was aggressive mistakes. And this is actually something that, 
me and an assistant coach were talking about last night is that we were like, uh, have we uh, played a scr we scrimmaged a, a, another team and, and our, our players, like the, we saw the steal, uh, the kids didn't. And, you know, we were like, why, why aren't they trying to get that? And I coach girls basketball and an and old, older coach, a mentor coach, he said, you know, girls like they, they aren't always aggressive because they're afraid to make mistakes. So here we're talking about aggressive mistakes. How do you encourage your players to have aggressiveness and make those yeah, like, and, and be ready or be okay with a mistake? Yeah. I, I think the first thing is how, re, how we react as coaches. So like for us, if, if I'm going to preach aggressive mistakes then I'm not going to be upset when someone goes for a steal, doesn't get it and we give up an open shot. Uh, I think that's the first thing. Like we can't react negatively to that. And the way that I do it, and the way I explain it to, to, uh, to our kids, and especially for right now, like I'm in AAU season, so that's what we're talking about. And, we'll, and all I say is, listen, the, the objective of basketball in general is the offense is trying to set up the defense to make a mistake to score. So there's not, I mean, I was like, how many times are you in a gym and it's a 75 to nothing game? I was like, that never, ha it doesn't happen because that's just the way basketball is. It was meant for the defense to either end up making a mistake and the offense capitalizes on it. So for us, it's, it's okay to, to make the mistakes, but we, if we're going to make the mistakes, then we have to do it in an aggressive manner. And if we have five guys or girls on the court who are all bought into, oh, they're okay with making the mistake and they react aggressively to everybody, the mistake actually isn't as, as bad. And, and I'll, we'll show it in film at, at prep where a guy will go for a steal and, and not get it. And, you know, we practice, we have a drill that literally sets that up. Like a guy's out of the play and then there's a drive and he's trying to get back in front. And if not, the guy, the opposite guy is sprinting over and help. The other guy's dropping it. Everyone is just sprinting around and it looks a little bit chaotic, but that's what we want. And so if we don't get that steal and they make a really good pass and they hit the shot, that was the point of the possession for them anyway. And we do that too. And so more often than not, in my, it's my belief that if you make the aggressive moves on defense, you're going to come out on top, uh, you know, at the end of the game when you add it all up. All right. Another thing that you brought up in kind of those uh, pillars or points is uh, the idea of talking. And so I know if you get a group of uh, coaches together, probably 75% of them are, you know, a question they're going to have is how do you get uh, your kids to talk some more on defense? So are there some things that you guys do? Yeah, no, and it's I'm always looking for every clinic that I go to. I bring one question, and that's the only question I ask. And my buddies joke about it because I've done it all because I, I just want to know what people do because it's so difficult to get kids to like understand the importance of communication and like see it. And it's what's hard about it is it's the one thing that they can't see when they watch a game on television. They can see all the other flashiness. They can see the the blocks and the dunks and the shots, but they can't hear the amount of communication that's going on at the college level and at, at you know, the professional level. Um, and so for us, obviously, I think the, the most obvious thing that we can do is when there's no talking, we stop it and we correct. Um, but again, that's, you know, how many times are you willing to stop it every time that kids aren't talking because you might not get through two drills in practice if you do that. Um, and so something that I, I've kind of worked on recently is instead of, just worrying about communication on the defensive end is worrying about communication 
in the grand scheme of things. And so what I do, we, we, we have a drill in, in AAU when we're playing live where any dead ball, anything like that, we blow the horn and everybody on the team, not just the guys on the floor, everyone on the team has to sprint into a huddle and there's three things you have, someone has to communicate. It's uh, the time that's remaining, it's how much they're up or down by, and then the third thing is anything that they're seeing on the floor, it doesn't matter what it could be. It could be offense, defense, baseline out of bounds, sideline out of bounds, and then everyone has to touch hands. And so what I've noticed is that, and I haven't had a big you know, chunk of time to kind of realize, to realize the effect of it, but what I've noticed is that that kind of just opens the door for a little bit more communication and willingness to like talk. It's not perfect, but I think just getting them to talk on the floor in situations and then telling them what we want them to talk about, it sets them up for success. So that that's kind of the two things I would say um, that I've used, but I'm always searching, like you said, for, for better ways. I know there's like the, um, the Bulls used to have like the silence, the silent practices uh, so that the guys could understand what communicating is. And I tried that this, this season. And then I laughed to my assistant. I said, having a silent practice is exactly what we've had the entire year. So I don't know. I said, we're really good at this. I, but, uh, but I said, if they're silent, they're not really like learning. I think that's really good if you can get them to a, a, point, a point where they are communicating well, and then you can take it away for like five minutes in a drill so that they can see it. Then I think that would be effective, but I wouldn't by no means not don't try that on like day one and say we're having a silent practice. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, uh, you know, and I think your main point here is there's no golden bullet there. There's not something that's going to get it done. And every coach needs to look and, and try because each kid's going to be different. Each group of kids is going to be different. But, you know, one of the things that we've been doing that I found fairly effective is that we do a little, it's a uh, kind of a three on four drill to work on uh, uh, kind of press pressing and uh, press break. And so uh, before each kind of rotation, I get uh, the kids have to huddle up and they have to communicate. And so the, um, the defense needs to identify, okay, this is the type of press that we're going to do. And I don't tell them, you know, they can do whatever they want. They can man up, they can get in the zone, whatever. And then the same with the uh, offense, they got to talk about their anti-press. And I found that that's pretty helpful because I think the main point is that when you give kids the opportunity to kind of discuss with themselves and plan, then, you know, they're going to, well, they're in a position where they have to communicate. Like one of them has to talk. So anyway, um, I've got, yeah. And I would, I oh, would also, Oh, my bad. Sorry. I was just saying, cause you made me think of one other thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think it's all a really important point of emphasis where the, how many times do we have kids who come up to us like during, during practice and, on with their teammates on the floor and something that I got um that I I use all the time and I've been doing this season is if a kid comes up to me during the game and just and says like they're doing this on the I was like hold on don't tell I was like don't tell me go tell your teammates I was like there's your opportunity to communicate you're seeing something you're passionate about what you saw so go tell them then you can tell me later on but I'm not on the floor so making sure that we take advantage of those opportunities when a kid wants to talk and directing them to the people that we want them to talk to is really important. No, I totally agree. That's a great point. 
one of the things I was wondering about, because I love asking coaches about culture and stuff, and since we're talking about defense, what does building a defensive culture look like in a practice? Or what should it look like? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it's definitely player-led. And, you, you, you know, we're lucky enough at, at prep and, and with my AU guys where I have guys, kids who buy in to the whole idea of playing defense. And I think that it's just – it's making everything that we do competitive. Um, and it's also the, – the biggest thing for me, if you, if you want buy-in on defense, then you need to give them to score on defense. Not meaning like a steal and a layup at the other end, but if you're emphasizing, you know, uh, aggressive help, if you're emphasizing things or within your defensive culture, then you need to give points like when five those things. Uh, and because anytime it's a competition and anytime you can earn points, the, it's guaranteed that the kids are going to start talking about it and making sure that they do it. So for us, like we, I give two points for every charge that's taken in practice, no matter what the drill is. And some of the charges are borderline, not even a charge. But if I have a kid who steps up and tries to take a charge, they're getting two points. And kids will react, that's not even close. I'm like, he tried. That's what I'm, we're trying to build that mindset so that we do it during the game. So we're, you're getting the points, you know, because you do, you're trying to do what we're, uh, we're telling you to. Yeah, I, I think that's a huge thing. And that's something that we've been incorporating into our program. And I have been fortunate enough to have a player come back. She just finished uh, her career plan at the University of Montana. But she came back and during our scrimmage the other night, she was keeping track of things. And so, you know, she was identifying kills, which is something that you bring up in the blog post, you know. And um, so we were able to talk to the kids about some, you know, I guess some quantitative ways to say, Hey, you played really good defense, uh, during this stretch, you know, and all of a sudden you could see that the kids that kind of made a little bit, a little bit more sense than, you know, Hey, we just went on a, you know, 10 0 run and you guys did, you know, so I, I agree with you. I think those are some good things. Yeah, we, we had, um, you know, on our bench, our, the kids who sat on the bench went with our kills, we had, they printed out and laminated, uh, one, two, and three that they had with them that they carried in a bag. And then they like created the, all these different celebrations every time we got a kill at the end of the bench. And we would laugh because we were like, we're the only team in the state that celebrates more for like defensive stops than <laughs> if, like, someone hits a big three or something like that. So it's just the buy-in and, and, and getting them excited about it, which, which is obviously going to help. All right. I've got a few more questions for you. I really appreciate your time. So you kind of hit on this a little bit earlier, but I was wondering, are there some things coaches can do in regard to video to help supplement a strong defensive culture? Yeah, I, I think the, the biggest thing is implementing some sort of like work that the kids have to do while they're watching film. So like, don't just go home and say, watch the film from the game. Like, the kid's going to turn it on and play Xbox while the game's going so that the time char charts on huddle and they're all set. So something that I, I like is I, I have a Google sheet. It's very simple. It's like five questions. Three of them are multiple choice where they rate the team defense, the team offense. And then there's two, there's four um, sh small short answer questions. And it's two, um, they have to timestamp two possessions of really good offense and then two possessions of really good defense, and they have to timestamp it. Uh, and so, A, that's going to tell us, all right, are they understanding what we want them to be looking for or to do on the floor because they're going to be watching the film and find it? 
or are they just like writing a random thing down or maybe they're not even getting it at all. Like they put something where we're like, that's not a great defensive possession. So that kid maybe isn't understanding what we're looking for. Um, so something tangible, something that we can assess, uh, something that has an objective when we're using film is always going to be better than if we just tell them to go watch it. And what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I think uh, another great point there. And I like that idea of holding them accountable to watching that film and, and doing, uh, doing it on their own. I think that's an important thing. And like you said, uh, the assessment for us coaches is, hey, are they identifying good and bad? Do they know the difference between the two? Yep. Yeah. And, it, and it's also it, it's giving everybody an opportunity to be on film, too. So if you can film practice so that kids can actually watch themselves playing. I think that is, that's just going to open the door for everybody kind of growing because at the end of the day, if a kid just sat on the bench for the entire game and then you tell them to go home and watch that game all over again on film, they're not going to be as bought in as if they have somewhere where they can watch themselves play. And then they're feeling like they are getting better because they're looking at what they're doing, not just what their teammates are doing. I, uh, you know, this is the first time I've met you, but I'm pretty sure that you have a growth mindset when it comes to uh, basketball coaching. So, you know, what are some areas of defense where you've kind of changed your mind over the years? Yeah, I, I would definitely say it, it's keeping it uh, simple. Um, this past last summer, I, I was in, I was lucky enough to be in an online clinic with Greg Popovich and like every every like four or five minutes in the entire thing, all he kept saying was keep it simple always and in everything you do. And so for me, I remember when I first started like with defense, worrying about what way are we closing out? Are we forcing weekend? Are we going baseline? Are we going middle? Then it's like, okay, what do we want our help to look like? What do we want? Um, you know, different defensive coverages when it came to the pick and roll and all this stuff. And, and as I've kind of moved on, I, instead of worrying about, about all that, I kind of let that fester in the back of my head and I see kind of what the players want to do uh, and what the players are comfortable with doing. Because even if I say, like, I, I want to hard hedge every pick and roll, if nobody on my team is confident in doing that, even if I teach them how to do it, if they're not confident and they hesitate, it's going to hurt us. So, you know, it, it's when we do our small-sided game two on two or three on three, I don't tell them how to guard the pick and roll. I see what they naturally go to because what they're naturally go to is what they're obviously going to be most comfortable with. And then we kind of build off that. Uh, and it's just a way to keep it simple. And, and I don't preach, and I know it's probably like heresy saying this, but like, I don't preach what way to, when I say, Oh, do, what way do you want to you know close out? What we should be forced. I just say, don't get beat. Like don't let the ball get, driven by you close out in a way that's going to be comfortable to you where you know you can contest the shot and you know that you can keep the ball in front and get and keep that man from from driving and i feel like that of uh, getting back to the aggressive mistakes it allows kids to kind of just play a little looser because they're not having eight things in their mind on defense that they're trying to do while they're playing uh i like what you bring up there and you know i think uh <laughs> on my end you know our, our team played some really great defense this last year. Um, and that's kind of what we, uh, you know, uh, help, uh, put our, put our hat on was, uh, was, uh, that ability to, uh, stop teams. But, you know, I really didn't get into the nitty gritty of like, okay, this is how we're going to play an on ball screen. And as you said, we went to a lot of short sided game or small sided games, I should say. And, 
you know, looked and to see like, okay, what are these com uh, kids comfortable with? And just naturally I could see that, all right, well, we're actually pretty good in drop coverage and in our league, there's not a whole lot of good shooters. So uh, especially bigger players. So, Hey, if the kids are comfortable with this, we shouldn't try to do other things until it really hurts us. Yeah, exactly. All right. So last question here, and this is a, a opportunity to kind of plug what uh, you're doing because I really, uh, you know, uh, urge coaches uh, to go out and uh, follow and, and, and read some of the stuff that you put up, but tell us more about uh, share the game. Sure. So yeah, share the game is just, it's a hashtag on Twitter and it's, it's also the name of my YouTube channel, which is in the works as like a new kind of thing. And then, uh, the blog, which has kind of been around for the last couple of months. And it's, it's basically, it's, it's not anything to self promote me or, or my, I, none of the, not a lot of the blog posts are, you know, me kind of getting on my soapbox and talking about stuff. It, it's mostly just resources, things that I've collected over the years of coaching that I've put together either in a PowerPoint or in something else and kind of organized and I'm simply putting it out there to share it with, with other coaches and inviting other coaches to also share, um, you know, their stuff. And so it's everything that it, that I put out is free. It's always going to be free. I'm not trying to do this to make any money or, or anything like that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but for me, it's just uh, an opportunity to, to talk with coaches like yourself and, and uh, I've, I've met a lot of great people since I started this. Um, and I said, I've, I've kind of like traveled back in time to like 2001, where you had to like pick the phone up and have a phone conversation. And I love it because, you know, we got so, I got so caught up in text email and, and that's the only way I really communicated with other people. And I've met so many people through Zoom and, and just having conversations like this. So if you want to follow me, my, my Twitter handle is at, coach underscore hickey h-i-c-k-e-y five um and that's where most of the share the game stuff is um you can go on there and then the link to the blog is also in uh, my bio on, on there as well i you know here you bring up a great point and i think uh for me doing this you know because i'm the same mindset that it's just this is just things that i'd be talking to people about and hopefully you know a couple people or a couple coaches or maybe more coaches will find it useful. So how, how has it, how uh, do you think you've changed as a coach since doing this? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I've, I've gotten so many like different ideas from other people, which is great. But I think also by doing the blog and, and doing this stuff, I've organized all the things that I had all over the place on my computer or like in my office. And I've organized it all in like PowerPoints and, and things like that, which helped me just as much as I'm hoping it helps people that, I, that I'm sharing it with. Um, and it's just getting like, I think last month or whatever, I, I finished my tweaking my coaching portfolio and I shared it. Uh, and then other people emailed it. And I had like four or five coaches who we, you know, jumped on a 30 minute phone call and talked about our portfolios and taking ideas from somebody else. And I, I changed a few things. I, I added, three or four things to my portfolio that aren't done yet, just from things that I got from other coaches. And so I've definitely improved uh, and, and hopefully others have, you know, at least improved a little bit from some of the things that they've gotten uh, from the site or from Twitter that I've shared. Well, I'm one of those because uh, you know, I've, 
Uh, been following you just shortly, but uh, you already had me thinking about some things that we've been doing in our uh, summer sessions. So I really, really appreciate it. It's been uh, great to talk to you for a little bit, and hopefully we can have you in on uh, down the road uh, to talk about something else in basketball. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure, Coach. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Idaho Basketball Coaching Podcast. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email me at idahobasketballcoachingpodcast at gmail.com.